Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 through 18. Let's read this. It says in verse 12, But I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel, so that it has become evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ. And most of the brethren in the Lord, having become confident by my chains, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and strife, and some from goodwill. The former preach from selfish ambition, not sincerely uh, supposing to add affliction to my chains but the latter out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached. And this, in this, I will rejoice. Yes, I will rejoice. So, I just want to remind you guys, Um, We've been going through the book of Philippians, and Paul is writing this letter from Rome as he's in prison. He's greeted the believers so far. He's told them how much they are on his heart, his mind, and his prayers, and how he has the affection of Christ towards them. He has Christ's very own heart towards these believers, and he loves them deeply. Now, as we go through these couple of verses here, this gives us a glimpse of actually what's taking place in Rome as Paul is there in prison. As I was reading, one of the commentators said this. He says, some passages of the Bible have to be understood by the emotions as well as by the mind. And I like that because I believe this passage has a lot of emotion involved in the text here itself. The readers, the the believers in Philippi receiving the letter from Paul himself and even the believers in Rome and the things that are taking place. And so in verse 12 it says, But I want you to know, brethren. What did Paul want them to know and why did he want them to know? Well, the believers in Philippi care deeply about Paul. Paul is in prison in Rome, and they are wanting to know how he is doing. It's been a while since they've heard anything. And back then, news traveled slow. Today, we can get news instantly, right? But imagine if one of your friends posted on social media and just said, bye, guys how much would your mind start racing? If they posted something kind of obscure that kind of made you wonder, like, wait, what do they mean by that? And you reached out to them and they wouldn't respond. You're trying to call them and they wouldn't answer. See, Paul is in prison. And these believers were wondering, is he still in prison? Did he get sick? Did he go to trial yet? Or has he already been killed for his faith? And they didn't know about it. Their mind was worrying. And they wanted to know Paul's condition. After all, when you truly care about somebody, you will really want to know how they are doing, right? 
When you care about somebody, you will want to know how they are doing. And that's why when myself or one of the leaders asks one of you students, how are you doing? We really want to know. We don't want to just hear the answer, oh, life's good. We want to know the good, the bad, the ugly, the okay, because we care about you. These believers cared about Paul, and Paul cared about these believers. He wanted to ease their worried minds and inform them about his condition. He wanted to encourage their hearts with what God was doing and to show them that God works all things together for good and for his glory. So Paul begins to tell them what is going on. In verse 12, he says, But I want you to know, brethren, the things which happened to me. Now, there was a lot that actually happened to Paul. For those that don't know, you guys can go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and read the things that took place to Paul. It says in that passage that he was whipped five times. And each time, it was 39 whips or lashes or stripes. That's 195 times he was whipped. Now, this is not just any ordinary whip. This was possibly a cat of nine tails, the same thing that whipped Jesus' back. His back must have been scarred like crazy. Disgusting. And it would heal, and then it got whipped again. He'd been stoned, and that's not high, okay? He wasn't high. He actually had been stoned by rocks. And they actually drug him out of the city, and they thought he was dead. He gets back up, and he goes in the city. He's been shipwrecked multiple times. He's been falsely accused. And that's actually why he was thrown in prison, because there was false accusations against him. There was a lot of things that happened to Paul. But I'm curious, what are some things that happen to junior hires? What do junior hires go through at school or at home? I just want to list off a couple of different things. So just raise your hand if you think of one thing. What do junior hires go through? Possibly jumps, okay? That's true. That does happen. What else? Fights at school, right? You're watching them, or they might happen to you. You get bullied at school, even, by some people. Heartbreak. Heartbreak. Ooh, that's true. You get into a relationship, and then you break up, and there's this, oh, left. What? Peer pressure. pressure. 100%. Hey, we're going to dare you to drink this, and it's like a hot sauce mixed with this, and it's just like... Suicide of discussing this. <laughs> Stress. Stress. True, that happens to people. What else happens to junior hires? Anxiety. Depression. Possibly parents getting divorced. People gossiping about you and spreading rumors. Maybe false accusations towards you. There are many things that can happen to you. As I was listening to Joe Foch teach this passage, he said this, 
You can't control what happens to you, but you can control what happens in you so that the right thing happens through you. I'm going to repeat that. You can't control what happens to you, but you can control what happens in you so that the right thing happens through you. Sometimes you can't control your circumstances. Now, there are other times where we get punished because of our own behavior, but there's things that are outside of our control that happen to us, right? I think gossiping and accusations, bullying, all the things that you guys mentioned are valid. Those things we have no control over at times, right? They might be happening to us, but we can be involved on what's happening on the inside. You can have control of what's going on on the inside and how you are handling those things. You can't control how people feel about you, but you can control how you feel about others. And Paul's saying, there's things that are happening to me. Pastor David, he said, there's something that we need to remember. Christians are not to view themselves as victims of their, of their circumstances. We are not to view ourselves a victim of our circumstances. We are to realize that the sovereign Lord has rule and reign over everything in the universe, even including our lives. And he might allow things to happen that doesn't make sense, that causes us to question, that causes us to worry, that causes us to doubt him and his goodness. Why would a loving God allow Paul to stay in prison under false accusations in that suffering? A loving God wouldn't do that, right? You don't see things from God's perspective. Psalm 37 verse 23 says, The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. The word ordered there means to be established, fixed, prepared, or appointed. God has good works prepared before you that He wants you to walk in. There's fixed things that He wants you to take place in your life. And some of those things took place in Paul's life. Something else I want to point out here is I want you to notice that Paul did not go into detail about the things that happened to him. He doesn't start complaining about everything that's taking place and he starts getting discouraged. He actually just says the things that happened to me, and that's how he summarizes it. That's how he summarizes being chained to a Roman guard. That's how he summarizes being stuck in prison. He just says the things that happened to me. He doesn't blow it out of proportion. He actually takes the readers, the people in Philippi, and takes their faces and he says, don't look at my circumstances. Don't look at me. Look to what God is doing through them. He points out what God is doing. Notice he says, the things that happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. Now, I want to remind you, the gospel is the good news of Jesus Christ. That God in his love 
when he saw humanity and the sin and the depravity of man, he was moved with compassion and he couldn't help but do something. And so he entered into his own creation through the person of Jesus Christ. And he lived a perfect life and died a sinner's death on the cross, was buried for three days and was resurrected three days later so that you and I can have everlasting life, so that you and I can have hope, so that you and I can go to heaven and avoid hell. That is the good news that Paul is talking about here. He says, the things that have happened to me have actually happened for the furtherance of the gospel. The chains that held Paul in place from going anywhere actually launched the gospel further than he expected. God used Paul's chains to catapult the gospel throughout Rome and the Roman guard. Paul, he viewed his circumstances of not holding a weight on him, but catapulting the gospel even further. It says in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 9, the word of God is not chained. I like that. The word of God is not chained. It's not confined It's going into places that you and I can never go to. It's piercing hearts that no one else can ever touch. See, the same God that used Moses' rod and David's sling is using Paul's chains. And then it says, for the furtherance. This word, the furtherance, is for advancing over obstacles or oppositions. It's a pathfinder. It's pushing through undergrowth. That's the idea. It's to move forward. It's this pioneer. It's not just taking the path that's been carved. It's actually going off road and developing a new path. See, I grew up backpacking when I was younger from like when I was probably maybe 10 or eight years old till I was through high school. All the guys on my mom's side, we would go backpacking for several days. We would put a backpack on, a sleeping bag, a tent, bring fishing poles, and we would hike five miles in and camp out under the stars, and it was, it was great. But one thing that was constantly ingrained in us was never go off the trail. Never go off the trail. Because you do not know what, where you're going to go. You might get lost. You might get disorientated. Don't go off the trail. But Paul says, by me being chained in prison, it's causing the gospel to go down paths that I would have never even dreamed of. It's advancing. Paul is basically saying, I view these obstacles as opportunities. And that's the cool thing with the Lord. He can take obstacles and make them into opportunities to share Jesus with other people. To bring Christ glory. And sometimes we might get our eyes fixed on our circumstances and we might get frustrated. Instead of getting them fixed on Jesus and says, God, what do you want to do in light of my circumstances? Sometimes we can't control what happens to us, but we can control what happens in us and allow God to change our perspective on our situation. 
Paul's chains actually compelled the gospel to go further and farther than he expected. Warren Wiersbe said this word, um, the furtherance, means pioneer. It's, it's a military term referring to an army engineer who goes before the troops to open the way or to new territory. It's a trailblazer. It's going where you've never gone before. And sometimes God uses strangers, strange tools to accomplish his purposes in taking the gospel into new territory. See, God in his sovereignty, he's thinking a million moves ahead. For example, I think of this guy, Nick Wojcik. How many of you guys have ever heard of him before? Raise your hand. For those that haven't, Nick Wojcik was born without any arms or legs in Australia. And he grew up, but then he started going to school. And because he had no arms and he no, had no legs, all he had was this little chicken leg he calls. Um, and later on in life, he actually beat someone in a texting competition. This guy has no arms or legs, and he, with his chicken leg, beat someone texting with two thumbs. It's kind of funny. But when he was nine years old, he was bullied so bad that he wanted to commit suicide. He tried to drown himself in a bathtub. But the one thing that prevented him from committing suicide was the thought of his parents at his uh, gravestone, weeping. See, he couldn't see past what was in front of him. He has no hands or his, no feet. Yet the Lord wanted to use Nick to be the hands and feet of Jesus across the world. Because of him having no arms or legs, it has opened the gospel door to different countries that would never receive him. And he would be able to go and share Jesus with other people. None of us would possibly choose that, but God's ways are not our ways. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so God's ways are above our ways. See, Paul here is chained to a Roman soldier for 24 hours a day. I don't know about you guys, but I wouldn't view that as a good situation. I would view that as a bad thing. I would start to complain. But not Paul. He saw this as God using this to spread the gospel. How do you view your circumstances? How do you view the things that happen to you? There are two ways in which God used Paul's chains to further the gospel and his sufferings. To reach the lost and to stir up the other believers. Look at verse 13. He says, So that it has become evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ. Paul's faith in Jesus was visible and widely known to the whole palace guard. Paul was chained to a Roman soldier 24 hours out of the day. And the shifts would change every six hours, which meant Paul would witness to at least four men every single day. That's kind of, think about that. He's chained to a Roman soldier and they switch shifts every six hours. He would be able to share with a different soldier every time. And I want you to put yourself in the story. Imagine that you're not a believer. You're a Roman soldier. 
and you've been chained to Paul. And all of a sudden, this guy is praying without ceasing. And you're listening in on his prayers. And his prayers are doing something within your heart that's supernatural. And they're ministering to you. Paul asks for paper and a pen. And he's writing to letters to different churches. And he's even probably talking to the guard about the letter. He goes, hey, what are your, what are your thoughts about this? And these Roman guards are hearing the gospel. This man who loved Jesus deeply. And I bet you, not long, but some of these men came to faith in Jesus Christ. Now, if there is a different man every six hours, in one week, he could minister to 28 people. In one month, he could minister to 124 guards. In one year, he could minister to 1,460 men from prison. See, Paul's mind, his thought, he says, I want to go to Rome to preach the gospel. But he went to Rome as a prisoner. And the Lord says, this is how I want my will to be done. God basically says, you don't have to go to the people. I'll bring the people to you, Paul. And that's how God works. He works in strange and mysterious ways. But it's beautiful. It reminds me of D.L. Moody. Now, D.L. Moody was a preacher in the 1800s, uh, 1850 something, I think. And he was consumed with this passion to see lost people saved. And someone said this about him. It said, Mr. Moody made a resolution shortly after he himself got saved that he would never let 24 hours pass over his head without speaking to one person about the gospel. So as soon as this guy got saved, he says, I'm not going to let 24 hours slip through my fingers without sharing the gospel. And he shared the gospel every single day with somebody. Out in Chicago, they used to call him during those days, Crazy Moody, because day and night, he would be speaking to everyone he got the chance to about being saved. There was one time, it says, that he, was, he got changed, he got his pajamas on, he laid in bed, and then all of a sudden he's like, oh, I didn't share the gospel with somebody. He gets out of bed, gets dressed, and it's pouring down, raining outside. It's midnight. He's like, I got to go find one person. And he goes out the door and finds one person and leads that guy to the Lord. There was another time where Moody, I think, started to share this gospel with this kid. And this kid runs away from him. Moody runs after him, goes into his house and drags him out from under his bed. I read this story. When I read the story, my jaw dropped. And like literally preaches the gospel to this kid and the whole entire family gets saved. I don't recommend going into other people's houses like that. But they called him crazy moody for a reason. He had this hunger. He wanted to see people saved. And I think we need more of that. Too often we that have grown up in the church, we have become callous to the gospel. 
We don't have a passion to see people saved. We have the best news in all of the world. And what do we do? We hold it to ourselves and we don't share it with other people. He can give someone hope and life. It says those people that win souls are wise and will shine like the bright stars in the heaven. Moody had this passion, this hunger. He wanted to see people transformed by Jesus. And Paul had that same passion. Now, if you have your own Bible, you might want to underline the words palace guard. In Greek, it was the praetorium guard, which was this elite group of soldiers, kind of like the Navy SEALs, but for the Roman government. It was normally just about a thousand soldiers, but during this time in Rome, it was 10,000 soldiers. 10,000 Navy SEALs. These guys were the elite, the top dogs. These dudes were warriors. And Paul says this, the whole palace guard, all 10,000 men knew that his chains were in Christ Jesus. That makes my jaw drop. That 10,000 men knew that Paul's chains were in Christ. I wonder when Paul was pinning this down, the emotion that was going through his heart. Paul is not lying here. He's not over-exaggerating. He's speaking the truth as it is. And I bet you as he's pinning this, he's grinning from ear to ear. I wonder if there's tears of joy coming down his face and he's thanking the Lord that all these men know that his chains are in Christ Jesus. I bet you Paul had excitement over this. Why? Because it was Paul's desire to take the gospel to the world. And that is our job to do as well. Matthew chapter 28 verses 19 through 20 says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all the things which I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. This is called the Great Commission. Basically, this is our mission. If you claim to be a believer, this is your job and my job to take the gospel out, the good news, to the whole entire world. Does that mean you have to go buy a ticket and go to Africa? No. That means share the gospel with your circle of influence, your family, your friends, whoever's around you. Share the gospel with them. Are we doing this? And I would challenge you, before you even try doing this, you need to know if you're a believer. And why you are. If I were to come to you, or someone were else to ask you, why are you a Christian? Could you tell them? For the longest time, I didn't know how to put it into words throughout junior high and into high school. Why was I a Christian? What are the reasons I'm a Christian? You have to have reasons for what you believe and why you believe it.
Paul here, his desire was to preach the gospel to the world. Not only that, especially in Rome. In Acts chapter 19, verse 21, Paul says, I must also see Rome. In Romans chapter 1, verse 15, he says, I am ready, eager to preach the gospel to you that are in Rome also. Paul's goal was to get to Rome to preach the gospel. Do you know why? During this time, there were four million people in Rome. In Paul's mind, he's strategic. He's being sensitive to the Holy Spirit and where God wants to lead him, but he's also thinking, he's like, dude, if I, if I can go to Rome and share the gospel there, it would spread like wildfire. And Rome is a hub where people are coming in and going out, coming in and going out. And he's thinking like the gospel could be spread from that location. That's what he was consumed with. That was what was on his mind. He was determined. But once again, he wanted to go to Rome as a preacher. And instead, God took him to Rome as a prisoner. Paul, his heart, his biggest concern was to see other people saved. To bring the hope of Jesus Christ to others. And he says that my chains are in Christ Jesus. Paul, check this out, was not a prisoner to Rome, but to Jesus. The only reason he was in Rome as a prisoner was for and because of Jesus. Jesus wanted him there in that position. That's why he was there. And nothing else held him in that spot except the Lord. Verse 14. So in verse 13, we saw the effect that it had on non-believers. Verse 14 shows us the effect that it had on believers. Paul says, most of the brethren in the Lord. Notice it says most, not all, but the majority of believers at Rome were growing in their confidence in their courage. Why? Because of Paul's chains, because of Paul's sufferings. Think about that. They were being encouraged. It says, having become more confident by my chains, much more bold to speak the word without fear. Paul's chains produced confidence within these believers. It stirred them up to be more bold for Jesus. And once again, God is using Paul's chains to accomplish this purpose. The words much more means abounding. The word bold means courageous. But if, I, if, you, if you have your Bible, circle the word speak. Because that word speak is not the word preach. It simply means everyday conversations. That is the best way to share Jesus in everyday conversations, weaving him into the conversation. What Paul is saying here, he's saying the believers have become abundantly, they're abounding in courage in everyday conversations to talk about Jesus fearlessly. That's impressive. I think many of us are timid to weave Jesus into a conversation because we don't know how to do it. We don't know where to start. We feel inadequate and we get our eyes on ourselves. Take your eyes off of you. 
and get them onto the Lord and the lost person in front of you. People need Jesus. Christ is coming back soon. How many people do you want to take to heaven with you? What people in your life are not believers? And the thought of going to heaven without them bothers you. These believers were stirred up by Paul's chains. I think it's fascinating. When someone's life, their testimony, their, their, their way of living can stir up others to become more bold. I don't know if you've ever heard of somebody's own testimony and the difficulties they've experienced and how it stirred you up maybe personally. I think of this lady, her name's uh, Josie uh, Erickson Tata. When she was a teenager, she had a diving accident. She dove into the pool head first and hit her head on the bottom of the pool, became paralyzed from neck down. I don't know about you guys, but I would struggle with some severious depression if I was paralyzed from the neck down. No more mountain biking, no more drawing, no more typing, no more anything, no more driving. None of that. She learned to paint with her mouth and paints beautiful paintings. And because of this accident, the gospel has actually been spreading further because of the Lord allowing this. And God has used her. She's able to sing as well. <clears throat> Excuse me. But when I hear of people like her or others who have experienced hard things in life, and yet they still have faith, yet they're still trusting God. I'll share something with you that happened to me recently. Actually, it happened Monday night. This whole entire week, there's this thing called uh, the Pastors Conference taking place at Calvary Chapel, Golden Springs. It's for uh, anybody in the CCA, which is the Calvary Chapel Association. And there's probably over 3,000 or more pastors there. And so the conference opens up with Raul Reese speaking. And the theme is all about encountering God and how we can encounter God. It's nothing strange. It's actually common to encounter the Lord. And we have story after story after story in the Bible. And so each pastor got to choose a character that they wanted to highlight. And so Rawls started off the conference with highlighting Job and how Job was someone that was blameless. He had success. He had everything. He was rich even. But then all of a sudden, in one day, all of his riches were taken away. His livestock, even his own kids, died. And the suffering that he went through, and he says, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. But then all of a sudden, because God and Satan had this kind of conversation, and says, hey, have you considered my servant Job? And he says, dude, you have a hedge of protection. He goes, all right, I'll remove that, but don't touch his body. And cause all this suffering. Later on, God actually says, fine, you can touch his body. And boils start to break out over his body. He's in pain standing. He's in pain sitting. He's in pain laying down. And his wife comes up to him and says, just curse God and die. He says, no. How can I accept blessings from the Lord and not also these things? 
And it's a trip because Raul Reese was sharing about the sufferings he's going through and how his wife's going to die in this year or in the next couple of months. And how he has struggled with PTSD from the war. And not only that, how he's had seizures in the pulpit. And there's days where he'll go to teach and all of a sudden he'll just have to put his finger up and he can't teach and continue. And one of the guys has to come out, pray and kind of end the service. And as he was talking about it, during his teaching, towards the end of the teaching, he actually has a seizure. And he actually is not convulsing. He just can't function. He couldn't formulate the words. And one of his guys comes out and goes, you guys know what's happening. He experienced suffering in front of us and how humiliating it is, he says it is, how hard it is. But he's still giving people Jesus. He's not complaining about his circumstances. And it was just so powerful. Paul's chains were encouraging other believers in Rome, saying, let's take this boldness and go further. And sometimes it only takes one person, and the Lord uses that one person to strip the majority. Now in verses 15 through 18, we see the motives of preachers. In verse 15, it says, Indeed, or some indeed preach Christ from envy and strife, some also from goodwill. The former preach Christ from selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my chains, but the latter out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. There are some people in Rome that would preach Christ with different motives. So I'm curious, what are some bad motives to preach about Jesus? What are some bad motives to preach about Jesus? In a bad way? Okay. So the heart behind giving someone Jesus, is there, what are some bad motives for that? To get popular, right? Some people do that. I'm going to do this just so I can get some followers, become famous. That is not a good reason to preach the gospel. What are some other bad reasons? Money. There are a lot of false teachers out there who are flying around in private jets giving bad doctrine, and they're doing it for the money. And in each sermon they give, they're, they're saying, hey, there's four people in the audience that the Lord's telling them to give some money. And they're always getting money. So they're doing it for the money. What are some other bad reasons to preach the gospel? What about for envy or jealousy? Paul says that. Out of strife, quarrels. They had selfish ambition. The word not sincerely means without pure motives. They wanted to promote themselves and not Jesus. See, the sad truth is this happened back then and it's still happening today. There are people who are preaching about Jesus with evil and alternative motives. Now, what are some good motives in preaching Christ? To lead them to God. 
so that they can be saved, 100%. You want to see people saved. That is a good motive. What are some other good motives in sharing Jesus? Is that the only one? What about doing it for Jesus himself? If we genuinely love Jesus, then we will share him with others, right? When you love something and you're passionate about it, you can talk about it. You will talk about it. I know exactly what all of you are passionate about. Because when I talk to you, it comes through. It just oozes through. You, you, you just talk about the Bengals, or you talk about sports, or you talk about skateboarding, or whatever it may be. And when you really love Jesus, you will talk about him. That's the truth. Notice the word goodwill. It means good desires. Out of love for Jesus, out of love for other people, and love for Jesus is the greatest motive of all. Wanting people to go to heaven, wanting to see people transformed, healed and helped and made whole. That is the reasons we should share the gospel. Verse 18, though, it says, Paul says, What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached. And in this, I rejoice. Yes, I will rejoice. He rejoices that the gospel is preached. The impure motives of others will be dealt with by God. I love this. Paul actually looks at the, these people who are doing it for the money, who are doing it out of selfish ambition. And what Paul is not kind of groaning over, he says, okay, yes, the Lord will deal with them. He says, but Jesus is being preached, and that's what matters. And the thing is, God can use some of those bad preachers to bring people to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. It's happened before. If God can speak through a donkey, <laughs> he can use them. In Romans chapter 2, verse 16 says, In that day God will judge the secrets of the heart of the men. Um, God will judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. God's going to bring every person's motive under the magnifying glass and see what their true motive was for doing what they did and why they did it. Even for us, guys, the reasons why we come to church, the reasons why we read our Bibles, the reasons why we worship, the reasons why we share Jesus with others, everything that is done for Christ will last. Everything that is not done for Christ will be burned up. So my question is to us, are we like Paul? When we see the gospel preached and presented, are we rejoicing? Are we rejoicing in the fact that Jesus' name is being spoken and proclaimed? Or do we cringe? Do we embarrassment turn away? Do we not go to Christian club at our school? When people get saved at a church service or the Harvest Crusade or whatever it may be, do we get excited? If you don't rejoice, why? If you aren't excited that other people are getting saved, why is that? Is it maybe because your heart is cold? 
if we don't want to see other people saved, I would really question and be concerned about where you are at with Jesus. Because when the Lord has truly transformed your heart, you want that for other people. Because you realize, I, I, I don't know about you guys, but I realize how jacked up I am. <laughs> I realize how miserable and wicked and in desperate need of a Savior I am and how I am nothing without Christ. And I want what He did for me for every single one of you and others. Paul's joy did not come from his situation or his circumstances, but from winning others to Christ. A.W. Tozer said this about D.L. Moody. He says, Oh, young men and women and all Christian workers, if you and I were on fire for souls like D.L. Moody, how long would it be before we see revival? Suppose that tonight the fire of God falls afresh on hearts and burning fire that will send us all over the country, across the waters to China, Japan, India, Africa, telling lost souls the way of salvation. If that fire and that passion started tonight, where we said, you know what, I want to see people saved, God use me. And we would pray like Isaiah did. And you might say, God, I have unclean lips. I'm not a clean person. And God says, all right, cool. Let me clean you, and then let me use you. And he'll take you, and he'll bring you into people's lives. There's people that you can touch that I will never touch, guys. There's people that you can speak to that I can never speak to because of your circle of influence is different than mine. Speak to those people. And I would ask that you guys would pray for me that I would be bold to share the gospel. Tomorrow, I have the opportunity to share the gospel at um, Ramona Junior High, and the topic's gonna be suicide. We've been handing out flyers, but please keep me in prayer and keep the students in prayer that they would go to this Christian club and that they would encounter Jesus Christ for the first time and that they would know him as their personal Lord and Savior so they can have the same joy that Paul had because we have the same God and that we would walk with him.